Dear Heavenly Father, we just want to say thank you for each testimony given. And Lord, while some of our thank yous have a sad note to them, we thank you for the time and all the work that you've done in in, uh, the life of Yuichi and his family. And now they're moving them back to Japan. And we're trusting your will. And Lord, we're thankful that even though we must part right now, we know that we can trust you with this entire situation and the future, knowing that you know the end from the beginning. Lord, we thank you for your watch care over us and your protection. We thank you for the fellowship that we can have in the different meetings. And Lord, just the opportunity to get out and uh, take a group of men and and uh, ride through the, the battlefield there and see and and uh, walk the steps that so many men who did so many great deeds have have walked. And yet, Lord, we can be reminded even in this day and time that you're working in our hearts and lives and in this nation in which we live. And we just thank you for the opportunity to be your servants. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, ye kids, how many of you enjoyed that special music this morning in the scripture recitation? And this is where they spend the time in learning those things. And so, praise the Lord for the Go Ye Kids and the things that they're learning. And uh, we are on lesson four here. And what we're doing is going through the Bible uh, just in a way of a very summary review. Uh, dealing with the human and the human authorship. The first five books of the Bible were simply uh, penned by Moses, with the exception of the last uh, chapters of Deuteronomy. And uh, there is no reason to doubt or to uh, question the time period and the time frames that, that are listed there in the first five books of the Bible. And yet they give us a history. And, and, and I just love the irony, actually, of, of the world and how crazy everybody is. You, you read the Bible, and it was a flood, a catastrophic world event that took care of the dinosaurs and all that. And what do the uh, evolutionists say? It was an asteroid, and it was the, the earth was destroyed by fire, and actually it was destroyed by water, and yet... You listen to the same alarmist uh, descendants of them, not the actual people, of course. And they're screaming that the world is going to be flooded and uh, 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 all of the glaciers are going to melt and we're all going to be under 36 feet of water, etc., etc. And the Bible says that that's not going to happen. The earth's never going to be destroyed by a flood again. Uh, It's going to be fire. Uh, the elements that now are, and, and it's just amazing how wrong the world is when it comes to this book called the Bible. And uh, what is the first thing they say? The Bible's full of hatred. Well, nutcases have been holding a Bible for how long? Uh, who uses the Bible probably more than anyone else would be the devil, would it not? And so, uh, the thing you have to understand, how many of you remember a former president of the United States? Uh, he was in trouble for moral problems, and, and there were several great camera pictures of him walking around like this. Uh, 
What he was trying to do was patch together his appearance. Anybody holding a Bible, even Bill Clinton, looks better now, doesn't he? And that's a testimony to how powerful this book is, is it not? And so as we're just going through the books of history there and... And, of course, we didn't take time to talk about all the beautiful stories. Now, don't read the book of Ruth. And I've heard so many people talk about a love story and all of that. There really wasn't any time for a lot of love to develop there in the story. I mean, the only time that Ruth and Boaz ever spent together... Well, uh, before they got married was, uh, he told Ruth to, to, uh, reap in the field. And then she went and, and asked him to do the part of the, uh, uh, of the, um, kinsman redeemer by, uh, sleeping at his, not sleeping necessarily, but laying down at his feet during the harvest just uh, one night there, and, and uh, they, of course, had no real contact. You have to remember there were uh, all of Boaz's servants all around. This was a very simple, quiet meeting where she was saying, Listen, uh, I understand the laws and the customs as Naomi directed. And Boaz went the next day, and they were married the next day. But how many of you have read through the book of Ruth and saw God's love for Ruth and Boaz, who was the son, uh, actually the uh, son of Rahab, and all of these things, how God put that all together in his special way. A Moabitess is not allowed into the congregation. A Moabite person was not allowed into the congregation of Israel for ten generations, and yet it would be less than ten generations, and David the king would be born of Ruth's descendants. How do you do that? Because this book is a book of love. Amen? This book is the story of God's love. And And so as we move, we get into the next section here. We have the Pentateuch, the books of history, the books of poetry. Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Solomon. And, uh, of course, uh, we've been through this many, many times over the years. But Hebrew poetry is not English poetry. Uh, English poetry is based upon meter and rhyme. Uh, Hebrew poetry is based upon a contrast or a rhyming of ideals or a um, contrast between two truths. And, and, and as we go through the books of, of poetry... We find that most of the Psalms were written by David. Solomon, if you look on your outline there, Asaph wrote Psalms 50, then Psalms 73 through 83. Ethan wrote Psalm 89. Moses wrote Psalm 90. Uh, Solomon was 72, 127. The sons of Korah wrote quite a few there, 42 through 
49, not 29, sorry. And then 84, 87, 88. Uh, when we get to the books of Proverbs, uh, actually chapters 25 through 31 were collected and recorded by Hezekiah later in the history of Israel, though most of the Proverbs are attributed to Solomon. And then we have Agar and Lemuel. And, uh, of course, uh, many people believe that those were pen names for Solomon. Job, we don't know who wrote Job, though possibly Job wrote his own story. It's very possible. And as we look at uh, Solomon, wrote Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and the Song of Solomon, uh, we want to, to just take a moment. Everything where the Bible speaks, it's correct. Would there be anyone who would question the beauty of Psalm 23? Those short little verses there. And yet, in the Western world, I don't know that you can go to a funeral where somebody isn't going to cite Psalm 23 somewhere. Uh, they print it on the cards. It doesn't matter what quote-unquote faith you are. Uh, unfortunately, I've been to some funerals where I knew the person wasn't saved, had no faith in God. They didn't even go to church. What, and what's going to be there? Psalm 23. Um, it, it, in the, the wisdom uh, of the book of Proverbs... You look at Ecclesiastes, and uh, really and truly, that is a book for our day and time. Now, I've often, a little tongue-in-cheek, don't ever read Ecclesiastes when you're depressed. I mean, it is, it is a very sad and, and difficult book to contemplate there. But really, Solomon had everything the world had to offer. He was rich. He was wise. He had lived his life, and in his latter days, he turned his heart against God. And that's what the book of Ecclesiastes represents. The meaninglessness of life without a service for God. And yet, I want you to take just a moment here, and let's just look at Psalm 22. Because not only... Were the Psalms beautiful ideas and, and poetry? There are also some of them prophecy. Psalm 22 is the story of the crucifixion. As Jesus hung on the cross, he quoted Psalm 22 My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And we look here and verse 7. All they that see me laugh me to scorn. They shoot out the lip. They shake the head, saying, He trusted on the Lord that He would deliver him. Let him deliver him, seeing he delighted in him. Is it not amazing that the very priests and the Pharisees, who knew the words of God, heard Jesus say, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And ended up quoting just a few verses down 
the very scorn and the very uh, mockery that they used came from the very same psalm, and yet none of them woke up and realized they were fulfilling the prophecies that were written nearly a thousand years before Jesus walked on the face of the earth. Look what it says here. Verse 18, They part my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture. That happened as Jesus was on the cross, and yet the very people, not even the disciples, as they were all hiding and not able to really pay attention. How can you get prophecy that accurate and no one pay attention to it? No one admit to the supernatural influence and direction that was in our Bible. I I love the... Um, Let's go to Job chapter 11. The book of Job is, a, is so amazing to me. It is such a window into human nature. And uh, a reflection really of mankind for all time because you, you always have people out there that are willing to help like Job's friends. Amen? How many of you have ever met one of Job's friends as you've walked through life? Uh, They're always there. Uh, It just doesn't matter where you go or what you're doing. Job's friends seem to just be alive and well. Do they not? And and, uh, you you look through here as he goes on and and look at uh, verses, uh, chapter 11 here it goes. Then answered Zophar the Namathite and said, Should not the multitude of words be answered? And should a man full of talk be justified? Should thy lies make men hold their peace? And when thou mockest, shall no man make thee ashamed? And uh, he just goes on. And if you were to modernize the words, you would think that this was a political debate in Congress today. As People just go back and forth, and yet the truths in the book of Job, and if you, if you want Job in one summary sentence, it's simply this. Let God be God. Let God be God. God is, and God is always good, even when it doesn't feel that way. And if we will learn from the book of Job, it is simply, let God be God. You know, the the Lord was interested in some other... He was using Job to reprove the devil. Now, if God had stopped everything in the universe and showed up and said, Now, Job... I want to tell you what's about to happen to you. There's an awful lot of bad things that are going to happen in a very short period of time. And I just want you to hold on because what I'm going to do is I'm going to use your life to slap down the devil. Now, would you be willing to hold on for a little bit and take care of that? Job would have said, what in the world are you talking about? But... That's what God was interested in doing, and that's what God actually accomplished. 
But he needed to get a hold of Job and shake him just a little bit and make sure that Job understood. Job, this book is not about you. This book is about me as God. And Job said, got it. I repent in dust and ashes and I spoke of things that I had no right. And then Job prayed for his three blessed friends. And God returned the captivity of Job. God didn't do what he did to Job so he could make him twice as rich as he was at the beginning of the book. That's nonsense because he was already the richest guy in the entire East. So what purpose did Job uh, gain by just being double the richest guy in the entire East? No. God was doing a work with the life of Job to reprove the devil. And sometimes we just have to trust God in what is going on. Just look at chapter 12 here. And here's Job's answer. He says, And Job answered and said, No doubt, but ye are the people, and wisdom shall die with you. And I, I mean, I just enjoy that. I, I have thought about that so many times. Uh, how many of you have heard the new health care debate on the, on the, I just, I listen to the radio. I don't watch TV. I don't have cable. I don't have any of those things. But I, I listen to uh, the radio and it's so amazing. How many of you have heard the phrase? Well, the Republicans, after working on their bill in total secrecy, have finally revealed the truth. How many remember that? Now, does anybody remember when Obamacare was passed? Nancy Pelosi, speaker, then Speaker of the House, said, You can't know what's in the bill until you vote for it. She actually said that. And now she's one of the biggest voices on Capitol Hill screaming about the secrecy of the Republicans. And I'm thinking, No doubt, but ye are the people, and wisdom shall die with you. Wow! How, how dumb can you get? Just hold on, folks. It's going to get worse. Uh, that's... Read the book of Job. I mean, it just got worse. It got to the point to where Job got so distracted by the diatribe that he took his eyes off God. If you want to learn something in the book of Job that will help you in this crazy time in which we live, don't let the stupidity of Congress... Take your eyes off the greatness and the goodness of our God. He's still God. Amen? And that's just an application. But Job is such a, a wonderful, wonderful book. I, I can't go through the prophecies without having you turn to Song of Solomon chapter 1. It's hard to believe how many years ago this was, but uh, it was uh, 
Oh, let's see. We got married in 1988. So sometime in 1989, God brought me to this passage right here and set the entire scope of ministry that we've had all these years uh, in in New York City and here and, and now starting to branch out and seeing the Lord do some things uh, in, uh, in uh, Brooklyn and in the Bronx. And, of course, let's not forget Brother Hiram up there and Fleshman's and all the wonderful things that Brother Saravia and his church have been able to do because of what the Lord has done here. And you see... The story, and we won't take time to go through the sermon again tonight, is the bride of the king was forced to work and couldn't get the job done. In fact, the only thing she got done was making herself unfit to live in the palace of the king. And so she had to go out and live with the flocks. And she was to take care of her responsibilities in the shadow of the shepherd's tent until the suntan had completely gone away and she would once again appear in society as an honorable bride of the king. We, we don't think about appearances too much as being uh, making a person unfit to live in society, but in this day at a time, it was all about that. And the simple thing is, we can't get the job done and the harder we try the farther away from the Lord we push ourselves. It's surrendering to the Lord. It's walking in the footsteps one at a time. You read through the book of Song of Solomon, and I recommend that that be a book reserved for older and more mature Christians. There's just some things in there. And people have tried to read in Christ's love for the church and all of that. But I will tell you, if if you are married and you read through the book of Song of Solomon, you cannot help but see the natural struggle that goes on between a husband and a wife in a marriage. And that's God's love for us in some times. The bride got thinking too much of herself. And she refused to open the door to the, the king. And then she repented and went and the king was gone. You know, marriage is a most wonderful and sacred thing. But it, if you're going to have a good marriage, it takes one thing. It takes a man who's willing to follow God and a woman who's willing to surrender to her husband. And if you're going to be a Christian, we have a Savior that never fails. And you need to surrender completely to that Savior and His direction. And people don't do it. We suffer so much in our relationship with God because we just don't surrender to God's will. We just don't do things because God says so. That's what the whole book of Song of Solomon is about. If if we could put somehow that into some kind of serum that would cause men to be men and women to, to follow that direction, we'd have the most wonderful marriages in the world. But it doesn't happen that way. 
It's a willful choice that has to be made. Guess how often? Each and every day of your life. And it's the same. That's why Paul said, I die daily. And it's illustrated there. In the book of Proverbs, it talks about alcohol and how it will destroy your life. It talks about the desire of riches and describes uh, what we call materialism today and how that you'll never, ever have enough. The Bible gives us the, uh, the history and the story of immorality in chapter 2 of the book of Proverbs. Uh, the Bible talks about medicine. One of the uh, verses I've heard all kinds of strange things is the blueness of a wound cleanseth away evil. And simply what that's talking about is if you've ever had a, a surgery of any kind, there's one thing you don't want to see. You don't want to see red and you don't want to see swelling. You want the surgical, the, the incision to remain cool. In fact, if it was a deep incision, it will actually turn a little blue as the blood begins to flow back through that thing. And that means you're getting healing. Uh, how did Solomon know that? Because God told him. Amen? Uh, and, and so, uh, we, when the Bible speaks, it talks about the earth being hung on nothing. There are so many examples. You could spend the rest of your life studying God's Psalms, God's poetry, and never get enough. So, we, we look at this section here, these five books of the Bible, and then uh, want to move on just very quickly here in a summary fashion as well. There is no way that we can cover everything here, but we we'll try to finish the Old Testament tonight. We're just doing a quick Bible survey. Look at the time spans that are covered here by the prophets. You, you have some of your earliest uh, prophets, the higher the date, the older uh, the, the prophet. This is counting down to uh, approximately the year of Jesus' birth. And so we have Joel 837 years before going down to Zephaniah, and then we have Habakkuk in Daniel, it's an amazing thing, the book of Daniel. Uh, if you read any of the modern commentaries, they'll tell you there's absolutely no way Daniel could have written the book. Dan the book of Daniel is a history that was written that was ascribed to Daniel to make it prophecy. Because it is so accurate, he names the very people, he gives them an order of succession, he gives a complete history of what happened from the end of the Babylonian kingdom all the way up through until uh, just before Jesus' birth. He even talked about uh, uh, the coming of the Roman Empire. Uh, he talks about Nebuchadnezzar's image there. And we're still waiting for the ten toes. That is going to be a some type of revived Roman Empire. Ten kings are going to come together. People have talked about this for years. 
about how that it is the European common market, but they have more than 10 people. Well, maybe if we get a few more Brexits and Frexit and whatever else, people leaving the European Union. But I'll tell you this, Daniel's prophecy is going to come true. And the Antichrist is going to show up. And he is going to bring peace to the Middle East. Every world leader in the last hundred years has tried to bring peace to the Middle East, have they not? Haven't been able to do it. Not going to happen until Antichrist shows up. And we read through the prophecies here. And all of these things, every prophecy, here's the four basic parameters of prophecy in the Bible. If you're going to be a prophet of God, it must be obedient to the revealed Word of God. God is not going to contradict Himself. That's one of the reasons why we know so many of these modern prophets are just simply jokes, are simply liars and cheats. is because they contradict what's already printed in the Word. That's why we know the, the Quran is not a book from the God of the Bible. It's a book from another God. The Book of Mormon is the same thing. It contradicts what's here. None of God's prophets contradicted what Moses wrote. None of God's prophets contradicted anything in any other verse. God's standard of fulfillment is 100%. How many are old enough to remember Jean Dixon? Heard the name. She was the witch that prophesied the, uh, the assassination of John F. Kennedy. They said that she was the most accurate soothsayer in modern history. I think she comes in around 5% of her prophecies, of her statements. Uh, She's only 95% short of God's standard. Even the devil's not wrong about everything, amen? Uh, I think the most accurate soothsayer they claim in all of history is Nostradamus. And still, I don't think he makes 20%, somewhere around 15, 18% of his statements. And many of that, of the things that were fulfilled are what we call uh, convoluted fulfillments, rewriting history to fit the prophecy rather than the actual fulfillment. And yet, when Micah said Jesus would be born in Bethlehem, he was. Amen? All of those prophecies about Jesus in the Psalms, in the prophets. Now, I don't know about you, I'm still looking forward to Ezekiel's temple. It's never existed. Therefore, if we believe our Bible simply, it's got to be future. He's talking about the temple during the millennial kingdom. And I'll tell you what, I want to be there and I want to watch that whole thing. I want to watch those priests do the job. I can't do it. 
because I'm not a Jewish person. I'm not in the right family. I don't have the right descendants or family tree. But I'll tell you this. Everything they do points to Jesus Christ. And I can't wait to see it happen in real life. The, uh, all the lion and the lamb laying down beside each other. It, it's amazing how critical the world is of the Bible. And yet when they talk about peace, even the hippies and the beatniks and the whatever you want to call them, the uppies and the uppies and the... When they talk about peace, they talk about the lion and the lamb now, don't they? When they talk about victory over great odds, they talk about David and Goliath. Uh, I don't know if we'll ever be able to work it out, but uh, there's a preacher, his name is Sam Gipp, and he preached a sermon I heard many years ago. He said, if you speak English, you will quote this King James Bible and then delivered an hour and a half sermon on the subject that was just absolutely phenomenal, proving that statement beyond any shadow of a doubt. And you cannot read any major literary work. You cannot, un- you cannot follow anything going on in our world today without people making some kind of reference to something that's in this book. If they speak English. I mean, how many of you got stuff? The junk removal commercial that we're all sick of hearing? Too much stuff? That phraseology is in your Bible. How many of you have ever used the phrase, that's a drop in a bucket? That's in your Bible. So much of the English language is built on this little book right here. And what we need to understand... is that if you don't pay attention to what this book says, you will find yourself in rebellion against its words. That's all all there is to it. It's that simple. God meant His words to be obeyed. And God always sent judgment. So much of the Bible, and one of the criticisms has always been, oh, the Bible's just full of judgment and God destroying people and all of... Why did God's judgment come in the Bible? Because people refused to pay attention to the words. Isn't that true? Now, how many of you are working on your Bible reading schedule. Don't raise your hands. We haven't been talking about it a lot. I haven't been reminding you. And Tell you what. Busy. Lots of things going on. But if we don't take time for the words, that's what the Bible's all about. It's the words. And the only way you're going to get them is you've got to read them. You've got to spend time. We've had the same Bible reading schedule for many years now. You know what? Some people are a little tired of it or whatever. Don't. 
until you know enough of your Bible that you don't need to read it anymore. And by the way, if you can say that, you got bigger problems than you ever thought about ever having. We need to get back to that book. There's so many important things in that Bible. How many of you enjoy reading all those long lists of names? You know, one of the reasons God put those in there is so those really smart people who are supposed to know all those things, they can prove so much of the history from our Bible with all those names. But I have a sneaking suspicion that maybe another reason God put all those long lists of names in there is to see if you'd be faithful and just read them. Amen? As we're reviewing, there's, there's a human authorship. So many different men God used to write this book over so many years. God took all of that care. And if we're not careful, it just sits on the shelf between Sundays and Thursday. Between Thursday and Sunday. Or Wednesday at North Brooklyn. Listen. We need to pay attention to the words. Every word is important. And if you don't pay attention, you're going to find yourself living in rebellion against God's word. That's not a place where you want to be. And all God's people said, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you as we enter the prayer time tonight and just ask that you would work in our hearts and lives and that you would direct us to your words. Help us to be faithful in our reading. In your name we pray. And before we finish that prayer, just take a moment and then we'll get into our regular prayer time.